Hey, welcome everyone uh, to Midcurrent Church. My name is Stan, and uh, I am the pastor here. Really glad that you could be with us both here at Camp St. Croix and if you're watching online as well. We're really glad uh, you could join us today. We are in the, the fourth, uh, in the final week in a series that we have titled, I'm In. Uh, it's with some inspiration from Life Church in Oklahoma, as well as a Manhattan pastor named Timothy Keller, that my whole uh, goal, my, my one hope for this uh, series and for these four weeks is that you would come uh, to see and to understand uh, what is true about you. Uh, and even beyond seeing and understanding what is true about you, my hope is that uh, you might start to embrace some qualities that I believe that God sees in you, right? So some qualities that I think God has called you to. And there's really four qualities that we have been talking about over the course of this series um, that I believe are true of you and that I believe God wants uh, to, 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 you know, to embrace, for you to embrace in uh, a new way. And each of these might speak differently to you depending on uh, the different places that you are today. But I truly believe that there is one uh, of these that maybe God wants you to embrace in a new way. Here they are, week number one, uh, I'm invited. Right? We said in week one that Jesus invites the people that others uh, reject. And so you need to know, and I believe there might be someone uh, here today or someone watching online that needs to know, you are invited into God's family. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, uh, no matter where you've been, you are invited into God's family. Week number two, uh, I'm invaluable, right? And we said that invaluable does not mean the opposite of valuable. It actually means that you have value and worth and purpose beyond what you or what anybody else could uh, estimate even in the slightest bit, right? You are a vital part uh, of the church uh, and together, all of us as, as uniquely designed and created individuals, right? All of us together make up what is referred to as the body of Christ, right? Serving uh, and working on God's behalf. And so you need to know you are invaluable to God's work. Week three, I'm influential. Last week, we talked about the reality that you do not have to be someone special in order to influence someone for Jesus. It's not about a title. It's not about a job or, or a status or a certain income or a certain uh, platform, right? In God's eyes, we are influencers. You are influential, right? When God shows up uh, in our life or in your life, right? All you have to do then is show up in the lives of others uh, and simply influence someone for Jesus. And I think God wants uh, us to embrace the truth that we are influential to God's story. Uh, today, we're going to talk about one last uh, quality of you and me that I really do that, uh, believe that God wants us to embrace, and it's maybe one that's uh, different than the other three. It's maybe not as much true of us as one that I think God really, really, really does want us to embrace in a way that we maybe never have before. It's this, I'm invested, right? I'm invested into God's church and invested into God's kingdom. I, I think that's a quality that, that God wants us to embrace in our lives in, in a whole new way, to be able to say, I am invested. Now, the reality is uh, some of you would say, well, actually, Stan, if we're being uh, really honest here, uh, I, I'm not that invested into the church right now. And that's okay, right? Just to be honest uh, about that. But here's the truth, right? You are invested somewhere. We are all invested Somewhere. I mean, let's say you have uh, season tickets to your favorite team, rain or shine, you're there, right? 90 degrees or zero degrees, uh, you'll be there. 
watching, cheering, screaming, yelling, face paint on, parka, snowsuit maybe if it's required. Why? Because you're invested. Right, Erica and I, we uh, once registered for Financial Peace University. It was a class offered uh, at our church, and we had to pay like $150 uh, to do so, and that never made any sense to me, right? This course was supposed to like help me be better with money, and I had to pay $150 uh, to just do the thing in the first place. It felt ironic, but you know what I realized throughout the whole thing? If I didn't pay for it, I, I would not have worked so hard to show up for it. It was a 13-week uh, class, uh, and there were some weeks for one reason or another, it would have just been a whole lot easier to skip it, to just say, not this week, yeah, too much going on, can't make it. But we never did. We never did skip out on the class. Why? Because we paid for it. <laughs> we were invested in it, and so it mattered to us, right? One more. Let's say you and your friends uh, and all the kids get together for dinner. You ever notice how you, you are so much more relaxed in these settings when you're at someone else's house, right? The kids are running around like crazy. There's doors slamming. You can hear like thuds and, you know, stampedes coming in the upstairs hallway, right? But when you're at someone else's house, you hardly notice. You're like, oh, the kids, I don't know. I think they're, I think they're somewhere doing something, right? But when the party is at your house, oh, you better believe it feels a whole lot different, right? You, 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 all five of your senses are on like complete overdrive, right? That you're, you're acutely aware of every kid, every sound, every spill, every game, everything that is happening in the house. Why? Because it's your house. You have invested in it. You saved for it. You updated it, right? You'll have to pay for it or replace it or fix it, right? So you care a lot about what happens to it. Here's, here's the reality. We are all invested somewhere, okay? And where you are invested, your heart follows, Okay? Where you are invested, your heart follows. Jesus says it himself, where, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We are all invested somewhere. The, the, the problem is, uh, the challenge for us is that, that some of us are investing into things that do not last. Okay? We're, we're investing into things that do not really matter for very long. We're investing into things that are nice now, yes. We're investing into things that, that aren't inherently uh, uh, bad or sinful, right? But we're investing into things that, that are fine, but are actually just quite temporary. And we look at the teachings of Jesus and in the words of Jesus, I think he's trying to tell us that over and over again at different times, uh, different occasions, in different stories. I think he's like trying to, to wave his arms, trying to get our attention to let us know that we are investing into things that simply do not last. And there's one verse in particular that I want to look at today, as well as uh, several other examples, several other stories uh, throughout Scripture that I think are going to highlight for us today uh, one main thought that I want to leave you with today. And so first, he, he, here is Jesus' own words, and I think his, his you know, mini course here on investment 101. It comes from uh, the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Don't store up treasures here on earth, right? He says, he says don't store up, don't build up, don't, don't collect for yourself, don't hoard for yourself, don't invest everything that you have into things that ultimately do not 
matter. Now, reflecting on what Jesus has to say here, there's a pastor named Craig Rochelle that suggests this idea that I think has the ability to challenge us and to transform us, to transform the way that we live maybe as, as fully devoted followers of Jesus. Here's that main thought that I wanna to introduce to you today. It's this right here, that our God has created us to pour, not store. That our God has created us to pour out, not to store up everything for ourselves, not to store up everything that he first gave to us, right? Our God created us uh, to, to, to give, not, not to receive, right? To be generous and to be a blessing to others, right? When we look at the very first uh, story of Abraham, he was blessed in huge ways to be a blessing to others. With everything inside of me, I, I believe this is the posture of our heart, that results in a closeness to God that I think most of us want, right? Somewhere deep down inside of us, I think it's this posture in our heart that results in the feeling that everybody wants to feel, right? It's the moments of sacrifice and then, and then the trust in the moment, in, in God's provision. It's those moments that, that we remember, that we look back on to say God was there. It's, it's our moments of, of you know, you know, outrageous or irrational generosity that I think that mark the, the significant moments in our life when we felt like, you know what? God was there. God was really present in my life. See, very few people, I would almost be willing to say it's zero people, but I think very few people have, have emotional or, or, or memorable or, or spiritual or spirit-lifting stories uh, about storing up or, or, or about spending on ourselves, right? No one says, oh man, I remember that, that one time that I, that I wanted that thing, but I couldn't afford it. And so I, I charged it on my credit card. And I remember that year because things were already tight and our credit card company was offering only 12% interest. And so we were able to pay it off in nine months and, instead of 12. And so I felt like it was God saying, Fear not, child, I'm, I'm with you, right? And then as I swiped my, my credit card, chills went up my spine and God felt so close. And I knew in that moment that he was there and that he was with me. And I just knew that with God by my side and that new screen TV, we were gonna be okay. Nobody says that. N nobody tells stories like that. Nobody looks back and, and has those types of memories. The stories that, that, that people remember, the stories that people are, are, are moved by in their, in, their, in, their, you know, in their core, the stories that I've, I've lived through myself with my wife are the stories of, of people choosing to live generously, stories of people putting God first and then trusting that God would provide. It's stories when you gave with irrational generosity to the people in your life who you knew needed. It's the stories of, you know, instead of, um, you, know, you know, selling your old used car, you just gave it away to the family that you need, uh, you knew was in, in need of some major blessings and some major miracles in their lives. It's stories when, uh, you know, people who, who drew a line in the sand and said, hey, you know what? I'm putting uh, God in the work of God's kingdom first, no matter how hard that feels. And, and Eric and I had a, a similar moment not long ago. I've told this uh, story uh, before, but there's a summer Bible camp where I grew up, where I grew to love uh, Jesus, where I grew into uh, the leader that I am today. And, and uh, the, we found out that they were uh, getting ready to begin a, a new um, 
capital campaign for a, for a dining hall. And then they had just announced that we're starting this dining hall and they, they reached out to you and they needed people who had been impacted by this camp to, to step up so that more lives could keep being impacted for Jesus. And Eric and I both loved this camp a great deal. And we both believed wholeheartedly in the work this camp was doing. But we had already committed to giving 10% of our income to Midcurrent. That's the first check that we write every month. We had already committed to support a child in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we tried to, as often as we can, we tried to say yes when we discover that people close to us have a need that we feel like we can help meet. And so adding on top of that a three-year commitment to a capital campaign, it just felt like, man, this is, this is not in the cards for us. As much as we would have liked to think it was possible, it just wasn't in the numbers. And as hard as that was to admit, I, I, I just didn't know what else we could do. But then I remembered a story that, that my Greek uh, professor told when I was a seminary student. He, he was a, a short, you know, socially awkward, uh, slightly nerdy, humble, but brilliant man of God and completely unrelated to our class uh, one day. He told us about him and his wife's commitment to funding God's work in the world whenever they learned about it. Right? He told us that every time he, he got a letter from you know, a teenager requesting money for a trip or you know, you've had those types of things, or anytime he, he found out about uh, someone that, that, that had a need to do God's work, he said he would go to his wife and say, okay, honey, um, you pull out the budget. We, we, we've got to look again. We've got to figure out a way to contribute to the way that God is working here. No matter how many times they had said yes before, he said, if we got a letter uh, and someone is doing God's work and had asked us to help, he said, pull out the budget. We got to figure out a way to make this work. And so I always think of that story when I think of giving generously uh, to God's work in the world. And it was this story that I couldn't kick. It was this story that was playing over and over again in my head after Erica and I had decided we got nothing left to give to this one organization, maybe the mo one of the most significant organizations in our lives kept thinking of this story and the fact that we couldn't do anything, it didn't sit well with us. And so we went back over our budget to figure out what we could give. We went back over our budget to figure out what we could give and we made a very small pledge, but it's what we felt like we could do. We made a very small pledge for three years to a place that we love and a place that we are confident God is at work. And ever since that decision, We've, we've lived without electricity in our house because the money that we paid for, for the, the, no. That's the lie, that's a complete lie. Never has there been a moment in our life, never has there been a moment in our marriage when after deciding to put God first, God hasn't provided for us everything we could ever need and more. We got food on our table every day. We have a nicer house uh, than we deserve. Friends and family in our lives are, are more generous uh, to us than, than we deserve. We still get to enjoy the life that we live. And, and when it's all said and done, I even have money left over to buy the six packs of socks and underwear that I buy once every decade or so. And so it all works out pretty good. God is always, always, always taking care of us. At this stage in our life, we don't have everything that we want, but oh my goodness, when we look at it all, we have been given way more than we ever need. And so God is teaching me, I'll always have enough to be generous. I'll always have enough to think of other people in my life. And that's the kind of posture that I think uh, is pleasing to God. Why? Right, because I believe that God has created us to pour, not to store.
And Jesus makes this very uh, same point another way, uh, a, a different place in scripture. This time he, he tells a story known as a parable of a very successful farmer that produced a very fine, very abundant crop. And the farmer asks himself, you know, what should I do? Man, he's going, man, I don't have enough room for all of my crop. We might say, oh man, I don't have enough room for all of my crap. But he says, I don't have enough room for all my crops, okay? And in the parable, he answers his own question. It's recorded in Luke chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. The man said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to what? Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, now Jesus taught in these parables uh, as a way to use these stories to teach people more uh, about God. And so how do you think God would respond to this rich young farmer. Hey, well done, man. You are good, right? What, you, you are successful and smart. Good for you, right? Way to think on your feet. No, here's God's response. Verse 20, you fool. He calls him a fool. He says, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then here's verse 21 that Jesus, uh, you know, says to this farmer, says to, I think his readers actually listening to this story. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. God did not create us to store up for ourselves. And that's what I think this story of a farmer who had excess and, and more than he needed, it teaches us. Now, I think here, here's what's tempting for so many of us uh, to say when we hear these kinds of things. Well, well I, I don't have that kind of excess, right? I mean, I don't have that problem. I don't have, you know, so much that I'm having trouble, you know, figuring out what to do with it all. And here's why I'm fairly confident that, that so many of us say that, because I think most, uh, most of us, most Americans, we live with very little margin, right? We, we often don't have excess because uh, most people, we, we, we just live right up to our, our, our means, right? Most people, if they have it, they spend it, right? It's the rich and the poor are always saying, I, I don't have enough, right? And so there is never this kind of surplus that would make us say, well, yeah, that, I'm, in, I'm in the same situation. And when that's the case, here's what I think happens. I've said this all the time, uh, but here's what I think happens. We say, well, if I had more, then I'd be more generous, right? We, we, we love to play an if then. We want to be generous. Every one of us do, right? We just assume, well, I, I really can't, Right? And so it's if then. Well, if I had more, then I'd give more. Right? I, I, I'd, I'd be one of those people who was really generous. You ever play those games? I'm like, man, if I was an NFL quarterback getting that kind of contract, I'd be the one that gave it all away to everybody. I'd be one of those people who used everything I had to bless everyone around me. Not only do I think that that's just not always true, that, that that's how we act. Right? I think when we have more, we spend more. But he, here's the deal. This if more mentality, I think, is focusing on the, just the, the, the wrong thing in general. And so here's what I want to suggest, and, and here's maybe what I want to uh, help you to understand today about generosity. Generosity doesn't result from having a certain amount, but it actually results from having a certain attitude, right? Generosity doesn't result from having a certain amount where you can finally say, okay, good, now I can turn my attention towards other people. I think it results from having a certain attitude. It's an attitude that says, hey, God has already given me enough. God has already done enough and he deserves every bit of my praise, every bit of my worship, every bit of my sacrifice. And, and there's a woman who demonstrates uh, th this 
truth in, in a very powerful and dramatic moment in, in scripture. And she wasn't of, uh, anybody of any kind of you know, significant status or, or, or privilege, right? She most likely didn't have a lot of excess, right? She most likely had a, a very little in general, and yet she sacrificed it all. She gave it all up in a moment of devotion and, and of gratitude and of worship to Jesus. And if you were with us in week one of this series, you have already been introduced to this woman from scripture, right? Her her story is the one that teaches us that Jesus invites the people that others reject because most people, especially, especially the religious people would have completely rejected her, but Jesus didn't. She was a prostitute, right? That the scripture says, you know, a woman of uh, questionable moral character. She's a prostitute. And yes, she heard about the grace of Jesus. And so she traveled a long way to crash a party where she knew she wasn't invited, but where she knew that Jesus was. And she walked straight past all of the people who would have looked down on her because of the life that she lived. And she took her most valuable possession, a jar of perfume that was valued at about a year's worth of wages. I mean, that, that was her, you know, like rainy day fund, her, her, her emergency fund, maybe her vacation fund, I don't know. But it was a, a, her most valuable possession. And because of who Jesus was uh, and because of the grace that he showed to her, she did not store up what she had. What did she do? She poured it out. Here's Luke chapter seven, verse 38, telling about this moment and this woman. It says, as she stood behind him, Jesus, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began uh, to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured out, right? She poured perfume on them. She did not store up for herself She poured out everything that she had in worship to Jesus. And here's what I think we need to understand about this. Her generosity, her sacrifice, it didn't uh, result from a certain amount that she had. She didn't calculate things and say, well, you know what? I think I've got enough to pour all this out for him. It didn't result from a certain amount that she had, but a certain attitude that she had toward the one who had given her more than she could have ever asked for. And and folks, I I can't tell you how encouraged I am. I can't tell you how much it makes me smile to know that these types of stories uh, don't just exist in the days of the the New Testament, right? They exist uh, today in the days of mid-current church. You see, since we've opened our doors again, there's a a nine-year-old boy who's been coming up to me every Sunday to give me the $5 that he wants to give back to God here at Midcurrent. He told me that this is what he's committed to, $5 every week. One week he forgot, he said, I'm good for it. I'm, I have it next week for you, Pastor Sten. $5 every week. And when I went to tell his mom how, how proud she should be of her son for this, this, this kind of attitude, she was proud. But, but she also, she smiled and, and she laughed. She was shocked. She was surprised. She said, that's funny. I mean, she said, that's cool. But she said, that's funny because I don't know where he's getting that money. We really don't give him an allowance. <laughs> Mid-current, I, that, that's like, that's sacrifice. 
That's generosity, not because of a certain amount of excess. Well, hey, I've got more than I know what to do with. I know that's not, that, that, that's not ge- generosity because of a certain amount, but that's generosity because of a certain attitude uh, of devotion and of worship. Right, $5, it might not sound like a lot to you and to me and any other adult here, but to a nine-year-old kid who doesn't get an allowance, apparently, I got to imagine $5 is a whole lot. I got to imagine $5 every week is pretty close to everything he has. It's sacrifice. It's generosity, not because of a certain amount, because of a certain attitude inside of him, a certain gratitude, a certain devotion to worship God. And I think that's what it looks like to say, to to embrace this quality that God sees in us, that God is calling us to. I think that's what it looks like to say, I'm invested. I'm invested into God's kingdom. And I think being invested matters. I think it matters to the work that God has called us to as a church here in this community. In fact, here's what the great theologian and by theologian, I mean the great football coach, uh, Dick Vermeil, has to say about being invested. Ryan Capping, thank you for the Facebook post. Here's what Dick Vermeil said about being invested. He says, if you don't invest very much, then defeat doesn't hurt very much, and winning is not very exciting. If you don't invest very much, then defeat doesn't hurt very much, and winning is not very exciting. I, when, when I read that uh, this week, I thought, man, that, that's, just, that's just apathy. I mean, that's just kind of being numb, being indifferent to what's happening around. And I'm not convinced that that's really any way to navigate the journey that we are on in life or in faith, right? To be sitting so far back, so far back on the sidelines that defeat doesn't really bother you and that winning doesn't inspire something deep down inside of you. Now, I certainly do not wish uh, defeat uh, or hurt or failure or pain on any one of us, but I am praying that each of us would wake up every day driven by the thrill of excitement from winning souls for Jesus Christ. I'm praying that we would wake up every day driven by the thrill of excitement from impacting lives and impacting families and impacting marriages and impacting our our community in our world, all in the name of Jesus as much as we possibly can. Now, here's the truth. If I can have a moment of, 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 of vulnerability and real honesty here when it comes to investment. Sometimes these days it's hard for me. It's hard for me to invite others to invest into God's kingdom here at Midkern. It was easy for me to do early on, but now three years later in the midst of what it is that we're experiencing today, it gets harder and harder. And here's why. Here's why it gets harder for me. Sometimes I play the comparison game too much. I mean, I do this in every area of my life and it's never good no matter how many times I play it. But when it comes to church, sometimes I play the comparison game too much. And I look at other churches, other churches that I know, other colleagues, other churches that I follow uh, online, big and fancy places. I look at all these other churches and I look at all they've done and I look at all they're currently doing. I think, wow, that's amazing. They're amazing. And then I have a hard time uh, inviting people to be invested here because I get discouraged at what we 
haven't done and what we don't do yet. I know people are, are wishing for X, Y, Z, and I know people are wishing that we would have already offered you know, this program or participated in that event. And then I get impatient with myself to start the next level of our ministry together and to lead us into the next chapter as a church. And so I think, wow, man, look at all they, they do. I'm comparing what they do to what we haven't done yet. But here's what I have to remind myself because it is so very true. Here's what I have to remind myself. God has already done immeasurably more than any of us could have ever imagined here in this community. God has already done immeasurably more than I could have even fathomed when we set out to, to, to open the doors of a brand new church. And here's what I am absolutely convinced of. No matter what has happened, no matter what's happening right now, here's what I'm absolutely convinced of. He's not even close. He's not even close to being done yet. With everything in me, I truly believe, even now, even with what we're experiencing, even when it's you know, hard to just open the doors of a church, here's what I believe, the best is yet to come. I believe the best chapters are still to be written. The greatest influence is still to be had on others around us in this community. I believe the greatest battles are still to be won in the name of Jesus. And winning those battles won't be all that exciting if you and I are not invested into the work of God's kingdom. And so as we move forward into our future together here in the St. Croix Valley in the midst of one of the most uncertain and unknown uh, stretches of, of recent history, I'm praying that more and more of us would embrace the truth, right? That there's a lot of qualities that, that we need to embrace because they are just inherently true of us. I'm invited, I'm invaluable, I'm influential, but today I'm praying that more of us would embrace the truth and step into the truth that God has created us uh, to, to, to pour, not to store. And that more of us would be able to say with faith and with trust and with confidence, I'm invested into God's kingdom here on earth. Let me pray for us. God, we give you thanks for these four weeks, right? Four weeks back into this uh, space that we have come to love so much. And so we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to gather together in person and online, God. And, and uh, I'm grateful for these reminders of who it is that, that you have called us to be. God, these reminders of, of who it is that you, what it is that you see in us, that we are invited into your family, that we are invaluable uh, to your work, that we are influential to help tell the story that you are telling and that we are uh, invested. God, I pray that more of us would be so excited about the prospect of, of winning souls and impacting lives and impacting this community in the years to come that this might be the best investment that we could make, an eternal investment, God, so that other people would come to know you and live with you for eternity. God, we are just humbled and blown away by how good you are to us, how generous you are to us, right? You loved us so much and you're uh, so beyond uh, giving that you gave your only son, Jesus, so that we could have life in life to the full when we deserved death and separation from you for eternity, God. And so we give you thanks for, for being a God that models what just unthinkable, irrational generosity and love looks like. God, we give you thanks for a gift that, that, that we did not deserve and that is more than we could have ever asked for. 
And so we give you thanks today. Uh, and we pray for the weeks to come, God. We pray for the days to come and for whatever uh, uncertain or unknown uh, futures are, are on the horizon for us, God. And we pray that you would help us to know that you are with us, that even when we don't see you, even when we don't feel you, God, would you give us uh, the trust and the confidence deep down inside that you are working all things out for us, that you are in control, that you see us, that you know us, that you love us, and that you're there with us to provide each step of the way. We give you thanks for this morning. We pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here. It really is great to be together. Starting next week, we've got a few weeks in a row where we are gonna begin uh, celebrating, believe it or not, uh, three years since we have opened these doors for the very first time. And so throughout the month of October, we hope you would be uh, right back here at Camp St. Croix or online at 10.30 a.m. midcurrent.online.church. We hope to see you again soon. God bless you.